Well, Ephesians chapter 5 is our text this morning. Um, Life is full of warnings, isn't it? People give us their two cents. (laughs) It might be that you're dating someone and a friend tells you, "I I don't think she's right for you. Or this guy seems to show classic signs of manipulation, early stages of abuse. Are you sure you want to continue this relationship with him? And really, a lot of the warnings we get are ones that we're, we don't welcome, right? There are things that other people may see that we don't have clarity on, maybe because that relationship means so much to us, we can't, uh, we, we can't give thought to breaking it off. And yet there might be merit to that. When I was a a boy, there was a hurricane that blew through our area. And I remember my father driving us down to the edge of a a creek that had overflowed. It was across the road. The water was pretty high. And the fire company or someone had put a sign there, just down in Burden Hand, and said, high water, don't try to cross. And my dad drove down almost to the edge of the water. And I was young enough to be terrified. I thought he was going to try to go through the water. That sign was there to warn motorists like my father, don't, don't even think about trying to go across this. Warnings. When I was in the hospital, there was a little hamper that was <clears throat> on the side of my room, and pretty much anything that I touched, um, except my gown, they put in this hamper. <clears throat> and on the outside, there was this scary-looking um, icon that said biohazard. And I thought, yeah, I'm a lot of things, but I don't think I'm a biohazard. This warning. You see a skull and crossbones on a chemical product. Warning, this is, this is poison. And, you know, we've been talking uh, for several weeks about the Bible and what God's messages are to us in the Bible. And the first one was that the overarching message of God is, I love you. I love you. And then the second week, the overarching message was, I love you in in Christ, I will forgive you. I love you. In Christ, I will forgive you. We've been saying that the Bible is God speaking to us. When you open the Bible, when I opened my Bible this morning, I didn't simply expect to read an academic essay. I didn't simply expect to read some news or some principle for life that I hadn't heard before. I expected to hear from God. This is God speaking to us. Now, the message, I love you, the message that I forgive you in Christ, these are usually welcomed messages, right? Who doesn't want to hear that they're loved by anyone? Who doesn't want to hear that they're forgiven? But the Bible is also full of warnings. What are we to make of these warnings that God issues to us? And we want to look at a couple here this morning. We'll look first at some reassurance, and then we're going to talk about a couple of warnings starting in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning verse 1 on through verse 9. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. 
Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. Listen, listen to that again. You can be sure. This is, there's no equivocation on this. And there's no uncertainty. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. And so live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. This is the word of God. Did you catch the warnings in there? Cautionary. We, we, we want you to take consider. We want you to consider these concerns. God says that I, that I have. Before we get to the warnings, let's talk about something that is vitally important in verses one and two. This kind of touched on lightly. We'll look at another passage to see it kind of driven home. But Paul starts out saying, "Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are His." Dear children. Now, what I want to do this here, and something that Paul's trying to do here, is to reassure the nervous. Reassure the nervous. Now, let, let, just imagine that you were in Target or some large mega store. <clears throat> the, all the people that are in there, of all the people that are in there, none of them are nervous, except perhaps one. The employees aren't nervous. Good grief. They're desperately needed. Target and everybody else can't find enough employees today. They're not nervous. They know that they could probably even do a bad job and still have a job. The customers aren't nervous. Target is there to sell products to them. And so the customers go in. As long as they have money, they can go out, purchase items, take it out to the car, and off they go. But there might be one person in Target that is nervous. This is the person who has been slipping items into her purse as she goes up and down the aisle. This is the woman who, in the dressing room, has slipped on two tops beneath the top that she wore in to Target. And she's nervous because she doesn't know if anybody saw her put those items in her purse. She doesn't know if there's a camera in the dressing room that filmed her slipping on these tops that she plans to walk out of the store without paying for She's nervous about whether or not she's going to get caught. She's nervous about whether or not she's going to be able to go to her car, go home, and not have to, and be able to enjoy the stuff that she stole, or will she be down at the police station being booked this afternoon? She's nervous. She's just not sure. Now, there are some Christians, and maybe some of you, who can quote the gospel verbatim. You know all of its P's and Q's. You know all of its particulars. It might be a short summary like I often do. Jesus Christ died and rose again to save sinners like me. Might be a longer extended statement. But you understand the gospel. And yet, truth be told, you are still nervous about what is going to happen between now and the day that you stand before Almighty God. 
And he asks you the question, why should I let you into my heaven? You're just not sure what's going to happen. And it might be that part of that reason was that you grew up in a home in which your parents or one of your parents conveyed to you that they loved you and they accepted you as long as you behaved properly. And when you didn't, that love and acceptance went away. It wasn't like you were clearly still loved, but you were corrected. No, no, no. It was like you were perhaps yelled at, you were treated sullenly until you would get back in parents' good graces. Or you might have grown up in a church or a religious environment where it was conveyed to you that God accepts you, he loves you, he approves of you on the merits of your performance, how well you get it done. And conversely, if you get it done poorly, he rejects you. He dismisses you. Some of you uh, at this church have some of that confusion. And one of the reasons that I know that's true is because I had some of that confusion. And I have to say, I had some of that confusion well into my first decade of ministry. And a lot of it was rooted in my church background and my home background. I've come to the conviction that for those of us who, who's, who have been so deeply shaped by authority figures, whether parents or God, approving us solely based upon our performance, works righteousness, that we cannot simply put the gospel over the turf that has already been laid of works righteousness. We have to tear that turf up before we lay the gospel down so that it can impact and infect our hearts. In other words, we have to, we have to acknowledge, we have to say as, with as extreme language as we can, I am accepted by God solely on the merits of Jesus Christ. None, none of my merits. Solely on what Jesus has done for me. Not at all on what I have done for God. And so again, he says, verse 1, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. He doesn't say imitate God and become his dear children. You are his dear children. Imitate God because you are his dear children. In other words, your imitation of God is the uh, result of being his dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. If we stopped right there, we might draw the same conclusion that some in liberal, more liberal churches tend to draw, is that Christianity is simply about replicating the life of Christ. Christ was a great moral leader. He was a great moral person. And we just live like him. We follow his example. But listen to the next line. He loved us, Christ loved us, and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. He loved us. He offered himself as a sacrifice for us, not in addition to some sacrifice we, we give for him. He offered himself as the sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to God. That's, 
that pleasing aroma harks back to the sacrificial system that the Jews uh, did in the Old Testament. But I love that word pleasing. It indicates that we are acceptable to God based on the sacrifice that Jesus gave to us, made for us. Let me take you back to Hebrews 10. Actually, was considering preaching out of this passage this morning. Verse 19. The writer says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. I want you to think about the worst thing you've ever done. Or maybe think about the worst thing you failed to do that you should have done. Now take it times 10, because it's quite possible that if you had a, a kind of a perpetual sin problem, that you did it time, 10 times or 100 times. Think of the worst thing you've done. Now read this verse again. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because we stopped doing that awful thing. Is that what it says? Because of the blood of Jesus, and then there's a period after that. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain of the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, not perfect hearts, sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Not partially trusting him, partially trusting myself, fully trusting in Christ. For our guilty consciences, that's the noise that our inner being makes when there's this dissonance between what we, who we say we love and how we're conducting ourselves. Who we say we worship and who we died, uh, who we, who we died our life for. Uh, and, and, and we want to work over here. We have this thing going on that's wicked. I love you, Lord, but I'm, I'm, I'm disobeying you here. I, I love you, Lord, but I'm walking in, in flesh here. Despite that guilty conscience, Paul says it has been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Not just to make us less dirty. Not just to make the water go from kind of black to milky cloudy but we've been sprinkled to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. This should reassure some of us who are nervous. Now, I don't think it's the end of the internal debate. You'll see at the end what I recommend to kind of fight off this perpetual nervousness, but God gives us so much in the word to reassure us so that we don't need to be like that nervous shoplifter. We can be confident that our, our destiny, our place with God in Christ is determined solely by our faith in Christ, our trust in him. But now we are warned. Now we are warned, Ephesians 5 verse 3, <clears throat> Let there be no sexual immorality, speaking to us as Christians, if you know Christ, this is to you. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Now, it's clear that Paul doesn't just have a couple of things, those three things in mind, because he goes on to say, such sins, those kinds of sins, have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talks, coarse jokes, these are not for you. 
Now, some of you raise puppies for a little added income. I want you to imagine that you had a, uh, you have a dog, uh, she's pregnant, and you go out one morning and you discover during the night she had her litter of puppies, and you count them. Let, 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 let's say they're dachshunds, all right? So you count them, one, two, three, four, five, six, oh, there's seven, eight, nine, nine puppies. And you start doing the mental calculations of how much money you're going to earn with this litter of puppies. And then you notice something. There's not, there's not nine little animals there. There's ten. You recount one, two, three, on up to nine. There's only nine puppies, but there's ten animals there. The one second from the right is a kitten. And for the life of you, you can't imagine how in the world a kitten got in this litter of puppies. And Paul's saying, in the same way, if you are a child of God, born anew through the blood of Jesus Christ, such sins have no place in your life. They don't mix. They don't match. They don't make any sense. It's like having a kitten in with a litter of puppies. <clears throat> One of the things that I've discovered is really hard for us to understand, and I think to a large degree it's because both on the one hand of our wiring for works righteousness, but on the other hand also our innate, innate desire to please ourselves, which is how we get down the road to sin. And that is to try to reconcile these two pieces that say, on the one hand, Jesus has saved me completely, nothing else I need to do. And on the other hand, say, if my life is marked by, not occasioned by, but it's marked by, it's characterized by sin, ongoing unrepentant sin, that I should not be able to be confident that I have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. By the way, have you noticed how casual we have become as Christians about our language? Some of you know my story. When I got saved, this is one of the key areas that God first went to work on. It took about two years to clean up my act. But I had a terribly foul mouth from the time I was probably about 12. And for about 25 years, I, my, I was scrupulous when it came to the things I chose not to say. And I became a pastor, and I was absolutely flabbergasted at some of the things that people routinely who claimed to be Christians would say in my presence. And it's not that it was somehow worse in my presence than someone else. It's just that I've watched people clean up their language for the pastor. And yet I would hear people drop F-bombs in, in my face repeatedly. I'm like, wait, what? These are not for you. It's like having a kitten and a litter of puppies. Instead, there should be thankfulness to God. You can be sure. And here's the, here's the intense warning. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For 
A greedy person is an idolater. In other words, he says he worships Christ, but he doesn't. He worships money. He's an idolater worshiping the things of this world. You see, a fraudulent Christian, and that's what he's talking about here, fake Christians. A fraudulent Christian's life is not just occasioned by sin. It's characterized by sin. You might have a run on, on sin in your life for a matter of weeks, days, weeks, months, where you, you're kind of having this eternal battle. You, you know, I remember somebody in Bible college once told me, I told them I was having a, a war with God in my mind, and, and she had the wisdom to say, you know you're going to lose this, don't you? But we can have this, we can go down this sinful road for a season. We're, we're wrestling in our minds. We know this is wrong. We know this is, God has said this is a no for you and then we finally come to the end of ourselves we're broken on the floor God please forgive me and then we sometime later do it again that's a person who's internally conflicted because Jesus died to set them free from this the very fact though that the war is occurring within them they're fighting against sin maybe oftentimes losing but they're fighting is an indication of the authenticity of their lives however the person who claims to know Christ whose life is characterized by ongoing sin and they don't seem to care a whit about turning from it that person should not be confident that on the day when they stand before God the blood of Christ will cover them not because he's unable to but because they're they are, have been hollow from day one. You see, when you tell me or I tell you I've become a child of God, I put my faith in Christ, there's no test that you can give me to verify that. I made an egg for myself this morning, a couple of eggs um, for lunch, and uh, I, I ran into something I've never seen in my life. So I cracked this first egg open, and it crumbled in my hand. There was nothing inside it. I mean, nothing. It was simply a shell. There was nothing there. But you looked at it from the outside, and it looked, it looked like a regular egg. It looked like there would be, you know, the fixings for an omelet in there, but there wasn't. And there are Christians, professing Christians like this, in every church, in every part of the world. And, and the blood test, you know, uh, the way we authenticate whether or not there's some validity to this faith claim, the blood test for authentic salvation is, am I making peace with sin or am I waging war against sin? The church has been peppered with frauds, fake Christians for 2,000 years. Let me just give you a couple of examples. And, and some of these people don't know that they're frauds, and some do. Jude, the next to last book in New Testament, Jude talks about people who were frauds and knew they were frauds. They were simply in the church to take advantage of people. <clears throat> Jude 1.4, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. They've made a profession of faith. They perhaps walked an aisle. They've been baptized. Maybe they're in church leadership. They've wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows uh, allows us to live immoral lives. Paul talked about this in Romans 6. Some people are accusing us of preaching grace in such a way that it gives us a pass to sin. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago for they have denied 
our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. In other words, they've been exposed as a hollow egg. They've been shown by their life not to have the merits of the death and resurrection of Christ. Now, there are also some people, and this is the, these would be the people that I'm most concerned about who might be listening to me this morning. There are people who are frauds who don't know they're frauds. Listen to the words of Paul in uh, Titus chapter 1, Titus 1 verse 16. Such people claim to know God. So here's somebody who professes to know Christ, uh, put their faith in Christ. They claim to know God, but they deny him. In other words, they reveal the hollowness, their hollowness. They deny him by the way they live. They are detestable, disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. Listen, my friend. If you are careless, by that I mean that you have embraced sin. It might be a sin. It might be a, a, a kind of a lifestyle, meaning I just do what I want. Um, it, it might m- mean that you say, I don't think God's worried about X, Y. I won't do Z, but I don't think he's worried about X, Y. And in here, it says he is. Beware. If you are living under that cloud of deceit, beware. God is warning you if you are careless. And the last warning that we want to pull out of this text is the warning to the well-intentioned. Warning to the well-intentioned. By well-intentioned, I'm talking about us who are Christians who give benefit of the doubt to people who are sinning or who are advocating sin. Remember what we just read about in Jude? These people were arguing that the grace of God allows us to live immoral lives. We get saved, and then we do as we please. Well-intentioned. Giving benefit of the doubt to those sinning or advocating sin. And Paul says here, verse 6, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins don't participate in the things these people do you were once full of darkness before you came to Christ we were all back there but now you have light from the Lord so live as people of the light for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true and I'm not sure if Paul had in mind the Holy Spirit here but it is a perfect declaration and a clarification that when the Holy Spirit comes into the life, which he does every time a person is genuinely saved, the Holy Spirit is in the process of changing us from the inside out to be more and more like Jesus Christ. Warn the well-intentioned. Don't be fooled. And this warning was, if, if it was ever more urgent than today in the American church. I don't know when it would have been. Uh, We have an entire PR industry, a public relations industry, that today is no longer trying to change the mindset just of the culture, but now has specifically targeted the church because the church has been such an impediment against so many of the things that the innovators in culture and society are pushing for that they're now trying to undermine the church. And I've watched how successful 
this PR industry has been in the 30 years that I've been a pastor. Today's poster child of this, the, the classic, if you will, of the last perhaps 10, 15 years, is how homosexuality has been given an image makeover. Now, please don't misunderstand me. The church has a bad track record when it comes to homosexuality because in some cases and in some seasons, we have um, portrayed homosexuality as if it's some sort of unique and terrible sin that's above and beyond the rest. Not so. But the flip side is we can't ignore uh, th this discussion because it is, it is challenging virtually every church in the United States of America, especially since the 2015 Supreme Court decision to legalize gay marriage. And so there, there are theological arguments that have been made uh, against the Bible's stance on homosexuality. Uh, there's in, increasing uh, biological and medical arguments to be made. And, and if we're well-intentioned, we might just say, hey, let's just live and let live. And let's not make a, let's not make a stand. Let's not make, make a stink about this. Even though increasing numbers of not just Christian leaders, but evangelical Christian leaders who believe, say they believe all the Bible are coming out and saying, as Jen Hatmaker did five years ago, gay monogamous relationships can be holy. Now, if the church is to continue to leave a mark on the culture, if it's to continue to present the glory and the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of its pristine fullness, it's not only going to be homosexuality, it's going to be many other things as well, that we're going to have to decide, I am going to stand with God on this. Not in an adversarial way. I don't need to be mean about this. I love what Mike Huckabee has often said. He said, I'm a Christian, but I'm not mad at anybody. Because we have a lot of Christians that are mad at people. If you don't believe like I do, I'm mad at you. No, no, no. The issue is, what will the church stand for? What will, what will the church declare? Will we, the church declare the eroding um, uh, changes in the culture that soon the church itself, the people of God, look just like everybody else? Well-intentioned. And for each of us, really, we should think about the we should think about the way the seduction that sin has in our lives. We should think about the seduction that sin has in the life of the church. And we should be on guard. And we should speak up. And we should lovingly say, that's not what God says. So, for example, you know, the three examples that Paul gives here in verse 3, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Think about the way we're redefining some of those things. So, homosexuality is one example, but he talks about greed, for example. And as Tim Keller is fond of pointing out, uh, by the way, the Bible speaks more about greed than it does homosexuality. And so... You know, the stock way to justify our particular sins or the particular sins of somebody that we care very much about is to redefine those sins. So, for example, uh, I'm not greedy. Say a brother comes up to you and says, I'm really concerned about you. I've heard that your wife might even be leaving you. You spend 60, 65 hours a, 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 week, a week at work, 
you're on the phone all the time trying to seal up business deals. You say you're going to become a millionaire before the age that you're going <laughs> to, before the age of 35. I'm concerned about you. To which your reply, I'm not greedy. I just have a strong work ethic. I have a good work ethic. Or it's not a lie. When I say things that aren't quite true, it's not a lie. I'm just trying to spare people's feelings. Or I'm not judgmental. I'm just discerning. Or it's not adultery if I'm just watching her on my phone. Or I'm not disobeying Christ. I just, I just don't have the gift of evangelism. And so again, Paul says, don't be fooled by people excusing sins like immorality, impurity, and greed. And maybe just to, to broaden the base of the kinds of things Paul's talking about, look at the fruit of the flesh in Galatians 5. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, we have to be clear on what God says about sin, what is sin, the consequences of sin, because that's the great manifestation of love that we have to brothers and sisters as well as the world. Let me just uh, give a couple thoughts and wrap up here. First of all, if you are one of those nervous Christians, what do you do? I have one suggestion. Review, 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 review the gospel. You never review the gospel too many times. Review, review, review the gospel. You need to read it because we're hardwired to do things, to accomplish things, to, to carry out tasks. We like the pat on the back. Well done. And so many times that can get in the way of our understanding that Jesus did it all. Review the gospel. And if you have the notes printed out, there are a number of suggested passages there. Uh, listen to this great line by John uh, Flavel from 400 years ago. Did Christ finish his work for us? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. He finished his work of the cross. The finished work of the cross. Did Christ finish his work for us? Then there can be no doubt but that he will also finish his work in us. That's just a 17th century way of putting Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What about if you are a careless Christian? You're just living for your pleasures, whatever they happen to be. Beware, beware, beware of temptation. I don't know about you, but I can look to seasons in my own life where I have fallen. And you know, one of the things that I have seen in a number of occasions is my cluelessness that I could be vulnerable to this, that, or the other. And when I'm not aware, I mean, that's an easy target for Satan to paint on my back. Beware, beware, beware of temptation. And, and this is a life. We always live a life at war with sin. So pray for the Holy Spirit to search your heart for sin. When it's revealed to you, suit up for battle. Don't let it linger. Don't let it, 
Don't let it stay. Don't, you know, give it a lazy boy to sit on and, and, and put out lin fresh linens for it in the ba bathroom. No, don't make it easy for sin. Fight it. This probably should have been first. First John 1 John 1.9, own it. Own the sin. Don't dodge it. Be honest with it. The gospel looks more glorious to dirty people than it does to clean people. There's something wonderful about owning just how wretched I am. Own it. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Run to God for help. Run to God for help. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Run to God for help. And lastly, for you if you're well-intentioned, let me, let me try to be a little bit more clear than I have been. We're talking about people who simply don't want to quarrel with anybody about theological convictions, who don't want to quarrel with anybody about things they might disagree about. In other words, don't have a spine, not a very strong spine. And to us who are well-intentioned, I say us because I'm one of you, we need to get used to being unpopular. We need to be, get used to being unpopular. As Pastor Charlie reminded us last week, our, worship, our, our call is to worship God, not to worship what other people think of us. And secondly, the only medicine for deception is truth. The only medicine for deception is truth. One of the reasons that I'm convinced that the church is becoming an easier and easier mark for the PR industry is that we simply don't know what God has said. And so I want to leave you with this admonition. Read your Bible every day. Read your Bible every day. That's going to equip you and prepare you to know what God says, to know who God is, to know who we are, and know what God's called us to be, what he's called us to do, and what he's called us to run from, and what he's called us to stand against. Let me pray for us as we close and Father, I want to pray for the nervous this morning, first of all, who maybe they know the gospel or maybe they don't really know the gospel as well as they think they do. Either way, that you would reinforce in their hearts in the days ahead this, this kind of freedom that Paul talks about, the freedom that the writer of the Hebrews talks about, where we can come boldly into your presence, where we can come seeing our guilty consciences having been washed not just a little cleaner, they're clean of the blood of Jesus and for all of us to take seriously the warnings in scripture especially these sobering warnings about people whose lives are characterized by sin and there doesn't seem to be any evidence that there's a fight against sin Lord if there's professing Christians listening this morning to this and, and that's true of them I pray that the day would not end before they fall on their knees before you and say God forgive me restore me make me clean again and for all of us Lord as we see 
as we see the flow of anti-God, anti-Scripture, anti-holiness uh, in our culture. And we're seeing the fulfillment of, of what um, Isaiah said about you, that there's going to be a time come when people call evil good and good evil. We're there. And we pray for, on the one hand, graciousness towards all people, and on the other hand, a steeled, resolved spine to say, here I stand with God. There's nowhere else for me. We love you, Lord.